All right. Well, this is just a little solo experiment. Uh, I'm not even sure if it's going to get published or not. So we'll just uh, go through this and uh, try to put my thoughts out there and then see how I feel about it after I'm done. I've been really focused on this uh, idea of the spirit of 1989 and the liberal order recently. I've been trying to to determine how to best address this subject. Um, I plan on writing uh, at least an essay on it, maybe a couple. Uh, I might even turn it into a book. I don't know. But um, I just wanted to kind of sit down and work out some of my thoughts here so that's what we're going to do so this might not be the most interesting listen there is but it is just helping me kind of put things into perspective um talking these things out talking with people always helps uh, at least my thought process and the way that i go about things so um <coughs> I, I, I was reading an article the other day written by uh, Francis Fukuyama in which he, he's talking about the spirit of 1989. And I was, it just, it, it kind of caught me off guard. I was like, what is this? What is this guy talking about? Like, what, why would you say that? Like, what, what, are you, where, what are you trying to get at with this? So I just started doing some random Google searches and looking around and I wasn't using Google. I was using DuckDuckGo, but we found out that they are just as bad as Google, uh, given the current circumstances. Um, that's another story altogether. And I, I start, everything's like all, all the articles I found were talking about the fall of the Berlin wall and the fall of the Soviet union. So then I was I, I kind of like, well, this sounds familiar, but why is this, why is this important? So I go back and I, I find an audio book I've list, I listened to a couple of years ago called The War State by Michael Swanson. And I start listening to it. And uh, he starts talking about the Truman Doctrine. And, and so I was like, well, what is, what is the Truman Doctrine? So I start trying to figure out what the Truman Doctrine was and, and putting it in, into a perspective for myself. Because we all heard of the Monroe Doctrine, but what is the Truman Doctrine? What What is it that Truman put forth that these people are so encompassed by? This goes into kind of conspiracy territory. And I think it was necessarily planted as conspiracy territory to keep normies and um, the average working man, the blue collar man in support of the military industrial complex and their expansion across the world. The global manifest destiny, if you will, uh, given I can't think of a better way of describing it, uh, what the U.S. has become. It's, it's, and there's the New World Order conspiracy has grains of truth to it 
end and there's a lot of misinformation in there and i i'm certain as i just mentioned that that the that the lies were intentionally planted in order to throw people off the scent so that the political class could act without the voting public disputing what they were doing So if you read uh, like H.G. Wells, he wrote a, he wrote an essay called The New World Order in which he talks about future plans. If you've ever read any Cecil Rhodes, he ta- he's talked about the creating a global governance system. Um, the Rothschilds are open advocates of a global governance system. Everybody's heard the name Klaus Schwab by now understands that he's advocating for a kind of technocratic imperialism in which no one has the choice to opt out of technology. So uh, you would have no, like no Amish or, or African tribes. And he, uh, he specifically targets third world countries that have resisted adopting technology. I mean, that would absolutely include the Amish into that. So you have these people that have, over the years, Aldous Huxley, George Orwell, um, written about the possibility of what a global governance system would look like and and the totalitarianism it would take form and uh, how it would operate and how it would uh, completely alter and control the lives of human beings. Um, in, in the, it, it seems like the, the main component of this is transhumanism, is the, um, the collaboration um, of technology with the human species in which um, the human not only functions as a machine, which um, the public school, public education has been uh, designed to churn out good little workers and uh, people that act as just parts of the machine, but it's also going to make you part machine in which they can... um, get into your thoughts like uh, with like a neural link or something like that. And uh, I started writing a little uh, short story about, about this idea. Uh, I should probably go back and finish it. Um, but they, they want to incorporate the, the technology with humanity. And, and you've seen this in like shows like black mirror. There was a show I tried to watch. It was really bad. It was not good. Um, but it was called the feed, um, that kind of gets into the idea of, of a connective, like hive mind, um, where everybody's brain is, is connected to the internet in some way. Um, and so the, these are things that are discussed and, and thought about and, uh, it moves, it moves us into a direction into which like y- your, your mind could be hacked, like literally hacked and, and, uh, 
all your all your most sensitive thoughts and feelings and uh, information could be removed directly from your brain, um, and they would not have to. Um, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be dependent on you know technological advances and and actual equipment like a like a phone or or a computer, and so therefore it would be direct access to your dreams and, and your thoughts and your feelings and, and your emotions. And so you could really police thought in this, in this function, uh, in this way, you set up algorithms that, that flag specific thoughts, you know, just like right now we have algorithms that flag words that, that you put into Twitter. If you had a thought, that was against the approved narrative, then you, you could be flagged and get a warning like that lady in Canada did for donating to the truckers where the police just showed up to her house and uh, like, hey, we just wanted to let you know how real protesting actually works. And she's like, what, you're, you're monitoring my social media? Like, what the fuck, you know? <clears throat> so they, would, they wouldn't be monitoring your social media anymore. They'd be monitoring the most intimate thoughts of, of your mind. And uh, it would be collected in, in data dumps like it like like the NSA does right now with uh, social media platforms. So it would be pulled directly out of your thoughts. It wouldn't even be an action or, or words that you actually spoke. It would just be something that may have like come across your mind like just in a second. So like for instance, when my wife first got on Twitter, um, Pete had had posted some joke making fun of a uh, Kurt Cobain. Well, my, my wife's a huge Nirvana fan. And so she, uh, she responded to him and she's like, I will murder you, you know, just as a joke, just tongue in cheek messing around. Everybody knows, you know, like how, how people are and you know, how friends jack around with each other. Not five minutes later, she's no longer on Twitter. Her account completely suspended. She had been on for like less than a week. And uh, immediately got flagged because she used the word murder. So the algorithm picked it up so quickly and acted in such haste that she didn't even she didn't even get a chance to say, "Hey, wait, wait, wait! This was a joke. It's uh, he's a friend of mine, and we're messing around, right?" So you can imagine how dangerous something like that would be is if they were able to actually access the thoughts, your thoughts and your dreams um, and, and how quickly they could act and react to the way, the way that you think and the way that you function and how you want to move forward in life without even expressing yourself. And uh, I think that's part of the reason I'm not, I don't, I have no fear of uh, putting, putting my voice out there on podcasts is because it's like, all right, like if, if we don't, if we don't stop things like this and it's tracks and bring awareness to what, where technology is going and what they are trying to do and how dangerous it can be for freedom, then, um, then there's, there's no hope. And I, you know, I've lived, you know, 42 years. It's not necessarily a full life. And, I would like to live longer and I would like to see my grandchildren grow up and, uh, experience that and see all my children get married and all those good things. But if, if, if I have to stand out here in the wilderness and shout 
at the trees, you know, uh, in order to assure, ensure that my children can ha- experience, you know, the, the greater things in life, then I'll, I'll do that. And uh, so that's just a sacrifice that I'm willing to make and to put a target on my back and, uh, and, and put my voice out there. Um, and, and hopefully we're, we still have enough freedom to where at least for the next 40 years where I don't have to worry about getting targeted, um, by any government official or, or three letter agency. That would, that would be nice. That would be my hopes. You know, (laughs) I don't want to really, I really don't want to deal with these people. So, um, anyway, so, so I look at the new world order and I look at the way technology is moving and I look at the idea. So like, let's just talk about like what we can prove about a new world order. Let's like, forget about the, 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 the conspiracy quote unquote theories. All right. Like the most, the more radical things I'm not, I, I don't, I don't see any point in touching on because there's enough there that we, that we can, we can have these discussions in such a way that you don't have to get into, you know, the lizard people or, um, the UN, you know, policing the streets of the United States or FEMA camps or, you know, like like Jewish conspiracy or whatever, like who cares? Like we don't have to get into all that shit. Right. And a lot of this shit is nonsense. And a lot of it is why people are afraid to talk about it. And, uh, but we have to remember, we have to understand that there was a moment there. And I think it was in 1991 where George HW Bush gave a speech in which he, he, um, referred to the new world order. Like this is the beginning of a new world order. Like the new world order is, a, and so what was he talking about? Like what, what, so, um, this, this brings me back to the Truman doctrine. He was, he was referencing a doctrine that was written under Harry Truman. And the, the point of the doctrine from, let's just steel man the argument here. There was great fear of communism taking over and, and displacing um, corporations and world leaders, right? And uh, what they what they had found was after World War One and World War Two, the Central Europe was completely devastated. They were, they, they, I mean, they were just totally destroyed um, due to all the fighting. Um, cities had been completely decimated. The economies had had fallen, and they they discovered that the the poor the conditions, the, the less economic stability that a country had, the, um, the more likely the citizens were to advocate for communism. And so in a, in a situation like that, the democracy would not be a viable option, but they fought an entire world war to get rid of monarchy. Right? So it's like, okay, Monarchy is not an option and communism isn't an option. And if we democratically elect uh, officials in these war-torn, uh, impoverished regions, they're going to elect communists. And we don't want to deal with the threat of global communism trying to go, uh, uh, go make its way around the world and destroy economies and, and starve out people and commit horrible atrocities. So what can we do here? 
So Harry Truman came up with this idea, and I don't know if it was actually his idea, but he's the one who signed it into law. He's the one who, who made it a thing, where is if we can, in order to avoid the, the communists taking over these Central European countries, we will dump money and uh, arms and training and uh, prop up these Central European countries that are just completely devastated after two world wars taking place right in their midst. And so there, there, there was reason to be afraid. I mean, uh, if, if you look at how Hitler rose to power and, uh, and then the, the rise of Stalin, um, these, these countries, Germany and Russia were, or the Soviet Union. Uh, I guess it started in Russia and, and moved into this. I don't. I don't really. I guess I would have to look more into that. I can't remember. I think the Soviet bloc started after communism, but I could be wrong about that. So you know, you can, you can check my history on that. I'm just kind of off the top of my head right now, and I'm not looking up notes. So please forgive me. <coughs> Excuse me. So. As a, they they were looking at the rise of Hitler and the rise of Stalin, and they were saying, okay, this is what happens if these 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 citizens are allowed to be impoverished, right? And uh, they they will they will go for a strong man, these these uh, these dictators, these uh, these homicidal maniacs, so to speak, and uh, they're going to and, and we can't allow that because the the communism is and and, and and fascism are worse than than uh, czarists and and monarchs in in effect. And uh, when we overthrew all the monarchies around the world, we did not see this as a, as a consequence. But we know what it means if we allow these these collectivist ideals to get a foothold in in democratic states. So what we're going to do is we're going to actively funnel money into these nations and we are going to pull these nations up out of poverty so that we can ensure a more democratically free existence for these people. Now that's a steel man to the argument. Uh, some people would say that it was a, uh, you know, a lot more nefarious than that. And, and so, I mean, you, you take that however you want to take it. I'm just, I'm just telling you what we can absolutely prove at this point in time. So this goes on and, and they were in the, in the struggle, the cold war was a struggle between, um, the Russian influence, the Soviet influence, the communist influence around the world and, uh, the West, right? So the West would be, you know, uh, the United States, obviously, you know, Britain. And uh, we, we incorporated Germany, or at least to the Berlin Wall, into the West, France, Spain, you know, all these uh, European countries that we were in cahoots with, uh, as well as like New Zealand and Australia. So, um, so you had this going on. Well, the, the, the ties of these Western nations coming together 
created a type of single government structure over these nations. So like you would end up with like the United Nations, the EU, NATO, uh, Council on Foreign Relations, you know, all these things started popping up. They started making these alliances and these, these treaties and these big governmental structures. And what they're looking at is they're looking in the past and they're saying, okay, so all these, all these elites of history had this idea that if you could incorporate a single world government and you could put it out on the, on the world stage, you can, you could bring in and create this big tent that encompasses all the governments of the world, uh, of every nation of the world. And all these nations meet together like a board of directors and they get together and they ha make, make decisions and they have the, all these discussions and it would end war. That, I mean, that was kind of the idea after World War II. They wanted to end war. Now, in order to do this, they had to conduct wars. Now, so this is where you get these like United, United States proxy wars all over, all over the Middle East, um, all through, you know, these European nations. You had these, you know, like Bosnia and Chechnya and all, all these things that were going on in the 90s and throughout the 80s. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to create a system in which they can, they can implement democracy, spread democracy, which would be part of the Truman Doctrine. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to get rid of what you consider the evil, you know, collectivist ideals of, of nations. And so you're trying to incorporate more democratic, free-loving peoples. And you're, you're, you're trying to change the culture through through war really is what you're trying to do which you know obviously this has been an absolute disaster um for decades and we can look back into history and we can see the devastation the death and exactly what it was now i'm not i'm, I'm, not, getting, I'm not willing to say that that it was it was about capitalism which is what a lot of marxists will say it's oh it was about capitalism no i don't think it was about capitalism i think it was about american hegemony i think it was about like it, it, because America came out of World War II as the single superpower, um, that everybody looked to America. Um, all these Western nations looked to America to lead, and so they all fell in line with America, and they kind of grabbed onto America's, you know, uh, coattails. And so, as America was leading this this idea of a world order that had been written about for for years uh, by a lot of people. Um, most of which were Anglicans. Um, they kind of adopted, America kind of adopted this idea and kind of took it over. Um, how, how it ended up in the, in the rank and file or in the thoughts and minds, I, it, they probably just read the same books. They, you know, they all knew the same people. They knew these corporatists and these, these globalists. And, you know, they were, they started buying into their ideas. So you ended up getting like these, these Davos and Bilderberg groups and all this, all this kind of stuff going on. And, and it's the same groups of people, you know, having the same conversations and, you know, I, and again, we're, we're still manning here. I'm not going to sit here and, and try to turn this into something nefarious because as much, no matter what I think about it, I, I can, I can see how the road to hell is paved with good intentions so i can i can give them the benefit of the doubt and say okay like maybe you had the best intentions of the world but like you've created a fucking disaster around the world for for millions and millions of people and you're 
you're choking off the freedoms in one country in order to, it's like, uh, it's kind of like the idea of communism was to make everybody equally poor. Since you couldn't make everyone equally rich, you had to make everyone equally poor. And now we're kind of experiencing the same idea with this globalist idea where they're attempting to make uh, the United States equally as enslaved as everyone else, right? So instead of making everyone equally free, because that would diminish their power and their control and their hold on a, a world government, then you are you would have to make the American people equally as enslaved. Is basically the idea. So, as this, in in nineteen eighty nine, the Berlin Wall came down, and then the Soviet Union collapsed in ninety one ish ninety one ninety two something like that, um, and you started seeing NATO expand. And they were expanding through, you know, in through the Clinton years, through the George W. Bush years. You had uh, all these wars on terror. You had this Wesley Clark, um, General Wesley Clark, come out and say that they were planning on toppling all these governments: Syria, Iran, Iraq, um, Libya. I don't remember all of them. I think it was like seven governments. Um, and, and so you, and, and you're in, in as an American and somebody who's not like knee deep in the conspiracy theories, then you're, you're like, what, why, why are they doing this? This is, this is insanity. Like we can't allow them to do this, but, but they just kept doing it and they kept doing it. And Congress never voted on it. It was, they weren't, they weren't wars. They were special military operations. It's a, it's a term we're hearing right now with Russia and Ukraine. And as this went on, a lot of us got got more cynical towards towards the government and, and towards what they were doing and the way they were acting. But but whenever I whenever I heard Fukuyama come out and say, "Oh well, you know, Ukraine is fighting for the spirit of 1989," I'm like, "What? Wait, what? What is he talking about? Like, you're you're American citizen." Why aren't you talking about the spirit of 1776, right? Well, because from a globalist perspective, from these elites' perspective, the the defeat of communism, the the falling of the Berlin Wall, the defeat of communism, and the incorporation of a peaceful Europe um, through American debt and uh, funneling money in military arms, weapons. Um, building bases and you know, the expansion of NATO, like these things have created a more peaceful world and that they were, the plan was to continue to expand this and to continue to grow this until you had every country under this umbrella working in, in, in congruence with each other in order to keep peace around the world. So the, the liberal world order, so to speak, the unipolar world order, would be one in which every country had accepted the post-enlightenment doctrine and liberalism and began moving, you know, in, in the direction of liberal democracies around the world. <clears throat> and 
in order to accomplish this, they had to militarily dominate these, these nations. And they had to put pressure on them. They had to utilize the CIA with color revolutions, um, corporatism, um, NGOs. You, you've seen all of these things occurring. And, you, and, you, and in, if, you're, if you're looking at it like piece by piece, you're like, man, they just keep doing these stupid things. But if you look at it with the, that, that, that the ultimate goal is American hegemony, that the ultimate goal is to, to create this world order of peace and prosperity across the world, in which every nation is working together and they all operate as equals on the stage or, you know, equals when some are more equal than others, obviously, um, then you can't, you, you can't tolerate the governments getting out of line. You can't tolerate the citizens of a, of a nation actually wanting a different type of governance system. Like you can't tolerate Iraq uh, having Saddam Hussein at the helm. You can't tolerate Gaddafi talking about buying oil for euros. You can't tolerate uh, Vladimir Putin um, being a traditionalist and, and a, a, you know, a Slavic nationalist, uh, however you want to say it, in which he wants to, to uh, kind of return back to the, the czarist kind of ideal uh, of of what Russia was and and incorporate these these Slavic nations and these Baltic nations back into the Russian empire and uh which is why I was confused earlier because I'm pretty sure that the the Russian empire prior to the Soviet Union and the Soviet Union were similar in structure uh as, as far as land mass goes but I, I could be wrong about that but anyway so you, you can't accept that because that then would have nations putting themselves ahead of others. Now, you can deal with your citizens believing that you're still a nation state, but you can't deal with the leaders of the nation acting as if they are still a nation, an independent sovereign nation state. That the sovereignty of the nation state on the global stage is gone. As far as as far as it's concerned, everybody must work together in order to create a more peaceful, prosperous society. And you can let your your little worker bees on the ground, your tax cattle, you can let them think they're still a sovereign nation. You can give them illusion through through culture that they're still a sovereign nation. But you're going to turn, you're going to to incorporate this this world order. And the reason they called it a world order is because empire sounded so bad that, that the United States was not to be a traditional empire. They were not going to go around the world and, and plant their flag in the Philippines and call the Philippines, uh, United States territory. What they were going to do is they were going to go in there and they were going to structure these, these nations as they saw fit, the na that they were going to structure their governments, and 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 then control their governments through economics. And and we've seen that around the world, where where you get sanctions and all this, and I mean even more so now with Russia. It, it's just it's terrifying to see the the private corporations actually um, getting in line 
and uh, being afraid of reputational risk because of ESG scores and all of this, uh, which would be another long conversation to have with someone. Um, so, so this this new world order, this liberal world order, is is one in which the Western philosophy of liberalism is spread ar- around the world, and so we've had resistance. And the, the West has experienced resistance. You, you have North Korea, you have China, you have Iraq, you have Iran, Afghanistan, um, many African countries, Somalia, Libya, um, there's Syria, Russia. And, and so you have these, these nations around the world that are resistant to falling in line. They want to keep their sovereignty. And political leaders of, of a more traditional, dominant culture, a more hierarchical culture, like China, like North Korea, like Russia, Iran, are going to resist giving up their sovereignty and their power in order to fall in line with a more Western cultural ideal. They want to, to hold on to their cultures. They want to preserve their history and their people. And they're willing to resist at every turn. And so you get this, this kind of defensive nature that you, you see China in and that you see Russia in. And, and as you push these Western, these, these cultural values down the throat of people that do not want these cultural values, you get resistance and it, it creates tensions. And then you get what, what you see right now with Russia and Ukraine. You can, you can bring this back to a micro level, right? If you look into in the United States and you see how parents after COVID-19, whenever they were getting involved in their kids schooling and, and really trying to figure out like learning what their kids were learning in school, they were like, they were like, what the fuck? Like, why are you, why are you shoving this shit down my kid's throat? Why does my kindergartner need to learn about gay sex? You know, why does my first grader need to know about transgenderism? Like, what is this? You know, I've used the example many times. I remember when my 15-year-old came home and told me uh, he was a, he was pansexual. I was like, you don't want to fucking know. Like, you don't know what you are. You know, like, you, you, don't, you don't have to label yourself in these ways, like, at this point in time. So as parents discovered this, it was like a culture shock to them. Like, what is this? Why are you shoving this shit down my kids' throats? Well, that's kind of how Russia, you know, is feeling on a, at a cultural level. Right. And I'm not excusing what they're doing. Obviously, I'm just trying to explain like at a culture level, you know, we've heard about how the culture of the United States, the Western culture, blue jeans and, you know, yada, 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 women driving, you know, this, that, and the other has, has made an impact in, in different nations around the world. And they always make it sound like uh, it's this huge accomplishment. And OK, maybe from our perspective, it is. But what do we know about these cultures, right? The the United States government, when they went into Afghanistan and Iraq, they couldn't even tell you the difference between a Shia and a Sunni. 
<laughs> what do they know about these cultures? What, what are, do they, how do they, they, they don't even understand these cultures, right? And a lot of people in the United States still want to live in the U S culture of, you know, um, of freedom and liberty and, and agrarianism, right? You got the Amish culture, right? Like I, I bring them up again, but like, think about it. Like what if, what if we started like shoving transgenders into Amish communities? Like how would that go over? I don't think that would go over well. You know, so you, you got to think about what's going on here. Now this has led and and I think this is, this is very important to talk about because, all right. So, so in order to, in order to create these revolutions, these, these orange revolutions and these, these coups in other governments in other nations, what the United States would do is they would sanction those nations. And what they're trying to do, their stated goal of sanctions is to make the citizens of the country so uncomfortable that they overthrow the existing regime. All right. So, but what if this comes back, right? What if this comes back to the United States? And I think that's what we're experiencing right now. And I'll touch on that. Let me get a sip of coffee. All right. So you have this situation where Russia invades Ukraine. In the process, the United States starts putting sanctions on Russia. Now they were hesitant to sanction the oil and the gas because these central European countries that the Truman Doctrine was supposed to bail out and keep stable are very dependent on Russian oil and gas. But they went ahead and put these sanctions on. And this is going to really be painful because when they put these sanctions on, now what Russia did is said, okay, well, we're not exporting fertilizer anymore. We won't export wheat anymore. Now the United States gets like 60% of its fertilizer from uh, Ukraine and Russia. Ukraine's obviously not producing because, well, they're at war. They're being invaded. They also, also the United States gets a large percentage, and I can't remember the exact percentage, of wheat for to, to feed livestock from Russia and Ukraine. Again, Ukraine's not uh, producing, and Russia says, we're not exporting it. So basically, Russia returned sanctions to the United States. Not only did the sanctions that the United States put on Russia hurt the global population as far as the amount of natural gas and oil resources being moved around the world, and so much of our uh, global economies depend on on oil and gas for energy purposes, right? How fast would people die in the winter if they didn't have heat? In, in Scandinavian countries, let's say, for instance. So so by by doing this, you're you're almost falling into your own trap. You're almost sanctioning yourself, right? So what I think what Russia is dependent on is 
there's so much turmoil in the United States and my next few, uh, episodes that I'll be recording are going to cover a lot of these things. And, uh, we're going to get more into detail. I'll be interviewing, um, I'm going to interview Shane Hazel, um, Daniel McAdams and Michael Rechtenwald are the next three I have coming up. I I need to schedule with Shane Hazel, but we have a great subject that we're going to be talking about. So it's going to be really good. And I always enjoy talking to Shane. He's such a great guy. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but so just a little sneak peek. Um, I'm actually going to release this here today. So I, I decided, uh, I'm like, Hey, this sounds pretty good. I'm doing all right here. So, uh, so you, you got this situation where we basically sanctioned ourselves uh, and we put ourselves in a situation. Russia can, can look at the United States and see that there was basically the, uh, a, funded, a well-funded and well-organized color revolution that took place in the United States over the last, uh, last few years while Donald Trump was in office. It's really funny how Black Lives Matter no longer matter because there's not a nationalist in office. Um, kind of makes you wonder. So... Uh, but yeah, we, we experienced our own style of color revolution um, with Antifa and BLM protests out in the street, destroying cities. And so they know, and I'm sure they have intelligence on the ground, um, just like they did back in the Cold War. And, and they know, they know what the tensions are. And they know that there's a lot of people worried, um, a lot of scholars, a lot of academics, um, uh, uh, former intelligence officers worried about the possibility of a, of a civil war in the United States. And so I think they are betting that they're wagering that they can destroy not only the United States, but NATO through their actions in Ukraine, uh, because of the global devastation, the, the sanctions on oil and gas are going to have and their, uh, unwillingness to export fertilizer and wheat. Um, I think I think they're wagering that they can outlast. I I, I think and I, I think that they're they, they they are like look, Russia is used to financial hardship. Russians are 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 strong people and they've gone through these financial hardships and. And they, they, they survive and they exist despite them. And, uh, he, they're, he's betting that the United States is too soft in that entering this period, it is going to create more division and more strife and possibly more violence on the streets in the United States because hungry people will revolt, you know? And, uh, so I think, I think the gamble is that through the U S sanctions on Russia, the corporate elites leaving Russia and Russia refusing to export wheat and, and fertilizer, there's, it'll put enough strain on the population of, of Western societies that you'll start seeing calls to get out of NATO and to, to not be aligned 
with countries that are putting these sanctions on Russia, that you'll start seeing violence in the streets and the call to overthrow governments in the West and uh, possible revolutions pop up that there will be civil wars and there will be strife. And this will in turn give Russia and China that opportunity to create the multipolar world in which Russia, China, and the United States all sit at, at a, at equal footing and all have equal influence around the world and that you don't have the domination of the petrodollar and the U S military, um, all around the world. And that American hegemony is, um, a failed experiment. And I, I really think that's kind of what they're, they're betting on. I, I think they're betting that they can survive this better than the U S because the U S is spoiled. We've been the richest nation in the world, uh, gluttonous and greedy for a long time. Um, I, there's a lot of materialism in this country that is going to have to, uh, come to an end if, as, as things get bad, they, they're predicting that the, uh, the, uh, the sanctions plus the, uh, stopping of exports from Russia is going to create a situation where there's 40% less food created for the United States. You know, if you thought the two, 2008 financial crisis was bad, you had to tighten your belts. Um, a diminished food supply, a devastated supply chain. These, uh, these are things that are going to take years, if not decades, to, to recover. This is not going to happen fast. Um, and I think people are way too comfortable. And I think Russia is, making, is gambling on the fact that the United States people have no tolerance for pain and they may be right. And so what, what we're witnessing is this is the, the Western world order, the spirit of 1989, um, has, has pushed the limits and has, has tried to shove its cultural values and ideals down the throats of countries that are not responsive. Um, Imagine going into, like I said, uh, a small town and trying to teach the five-year-olds in this small town <laughs> that, that they should all be, you know, uh, gay or transgender and see how the parents are going to react. You know, you know, these, these small towns built on the backs of family values and traditional, um, like leg family legacy in which you pass down your, your property and your businesses from generation to generation and the pride that goes into the family. You know, a lot of these people can trace their lineage back to the American revolution. Right. And so imagine telling these people that are extremely proud Americans that trace their lineage all the way back to the American revolution that have served in the military, that have, that have, have seen their sons and daughters and brothers and sisters die in foreign wars under the ideal, the, the, the auspice that they're fighting for freedom, that they're, they're fighting for liberty. We have to fight them over there. So we don't have to fight them over here. And the only ones, the only ones that have to fight anybody are, are the people that the United States invades. 
and these and 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 they're fighting the proxies and and we saw it with 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 the Afghan war with Russia where uh, the United States funded the C, uh, the Mujahideen, uh, funded and armed the Mujahideen, and the, how that came back to bite us in the ass, and uh, we ended up having to fight them ourselves under the name of Al Qaeda and ISIS. And we're seeing it today with the with the arming and funding of the Azov Battalion, uh, the neo Nazi regime, and and we know uh, Adam Waffen, who's a huge. They're not like a, a large group, but they are. Uh, I would say they were probably the most dangerous white supremacist neo-Nazi group in the United States as Adam Waffen. Um, they're, they're sending their guys over there into Ukraine to fight alongside the Azov battalion. And you're going to have battle hardened neo-Nazis coming back to the United States. If you thought these people were scary before, wait until they come in here and they start carrying out terrorist attacks on, on these uh, minority communities. Right? So you could see a potential, you know, the, the, a, a potential series of, of um, race fighting in the future. All this shit that they've been trying to amp up and ramp up as far as uh, the racist divide in the country and, and this domestic terrorism could come true. They may speak it into existence through the actions in, in Ukraine. So, um, yeah, like, I, I don't know if, if Russia is making a bad calculation when, when thinking that by putting the, putting this pressure on NATO countries is, uh, is going to end up devastating to the West and, um, you know, the United States, its allies and all the NATO countries, the petrodollar, especially we hear about, um, Saudi Arabia and talks, uh, trading oil for the, the Wuhan, Yuan, however you say it. I'm not real familiar with how to say it. Sorry. Um, and so, so you could be looking at a, a, at a serious situation here on the ground in the United States. And so I think people really need to start taking actions. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to end with this because I don't like to talk about these things and just be all doom and gloom without giving some kind of prescription that, that you can, some actions you can take on your own. I'm going to say right now, if, uh, if you, if you have any questions, um, about things that you can do or how to get started doing, um, some of the things I'm going to mention here, uh, feel free to contact me. You, you can email me at tommysalmons.com or you can join my discord, which will be, uh, there will be a link in the, in the description and, and we can chat. I don't mind. I'm not, I'm not like brilliant. And I, I don't have all the answers, but I can at least help you um, get started. And, and we can we can try to figure it out, you know, amongst ourselves. Because that's what we're doing. We're creating communities to where we can figure these things out and help each other out and stay in touch. Right? And, and that's extremely important. So, <clears throat> I'd say the first thing you need to do, <clears throat> buy some seeds, buy some soil, get some pots, and just start planting some stuff. Just try to teach yourself some, how to create some of your food. You don't have to create all of it, but create some of it, right? I, I don't create all my own food. Um, I have plenty of land to do it, but I don't have the time to work all the land at this moment. So I, I, I create what I can. 
I do what I can. And I figured out that building in my, in my region, building a greenhouse, well, a high tunnel, I don't even have a legit greenhouse. I don't have a heater in there or anything or lights or anything like that. But because I live in, in, in Southeast Texas and we don't have like serious winters down here. Very rarely does it like snow or anything like that. So it's like once every like five to 10 years. So if I keep that greenhouse shut up during the winter and, and keep that cold air off of the plants, they keep, they keep growing. And I just discovered that. And I was like, Oh wow, this is awesome. I still have stuff like left over from last year that I planted like last spring or early, late, late spring, early summer last year. So I'm like, Oh, this is really cool. Like, so I can, I can grow things year round. Um, <clears throat> by by building these high tunnels and that's a excellent investment this one i built cost me a thousand dollars it cost me a thousand dollars to build it a thousand dollars in material and you know i may be able to get away with doing it for less um so it, it is possible if i wouldn't have built the raised beds inside of it and if i would have just done like tables with uh, pots on it and just done pots, it probably would have cost me less than a thousand dollars to build it. Uh, probably could have gotten away with like right around six, $700. Right. But I, I, but I did put the raised beds inside of it. So that, that was additional cost. Um, so I would, yeah, definitely start learning how to just, just some things, something you eat a lot of, let's say you eat a lot of a broccoli, grow some broccoli. Let's say you eat a lot of salad, grow some lettuce, you know, but make sure it's something that you utilize. Don't grow a bunch of stuff that you're not going to eat. And, and we're coming up the period of time right now. It's time to start planning. You, you can start planning uh, here very shortly. You know, I've already started planning. I, I started planting uh, three weeks ago or no, a month ago. I started planting. I got tomatoes started. I got cucumbers started. Um, again, I have the high tunnel, so I'm able to, to kind of keep the temperature and, you know, how I want it, um, in there and, and give them enough heat, but you can start stuff inside your house in small pots. And then once that last frost, once you, once you're past the, the danger of another frost, you can move those plants outside, whether you put them on, if you're in an apartment, put them out on your balcony. There, there are plans you can, you can find all kinds of stuff on the internet, on um, balcony gardens and, and stuff like that. Um, if you live in a community, let's say there's empty lots or empty places, um, organize with some of your neighbors and, and start planting stuff uh, on these on, on empty in empty spaces, right? Make have community gardens, um, and 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 see if y'all can't produce. Uh, I've seen people turn their front yards into gardens, and you know they share the vegetables with their with their, uh, with their neighbors. Um, if you can get some chickens, get some chickens. Oh, uh, you'll get chickens are extremely easy to take care of. They don't take a lot of attention. I go out there every couple of days and make sure they have food and water. I let them out and run around every now and then, uh, probably once a week or something like that. And, uh, their food's not expensive. And, you know, they, they grow pretty fast and within four or five months they're producing eggs and you know, each chicken can produce up to seven eggs a day. So if you get yourself like four or five chickens, trust me, you're going to have eggs, especially if you get the right kind of chicken, like, like my Dominickers and my Rhode Island reds, 
they lay eggs like crazy. They're always laying eggs. Um, if you want, if you want a meat chicken, I would go with a, I think it's called a New Jersey giant. Somebody was telling me about that grows really fast and, and is, is a good meat chicken. Uh, also the Cornish Cornish, uh, hens are, are good meat chickens. And if you can get a rooster and some hens, then you can have a production of eggs. You can incubate the eggs, have a, have chicks coming out. And so you'll have a steady supply of meat. Um, learn to fish, you know, go fishing, get you a fishing license or don't whatever you're comfortable with, but learn to fish, go learn how to catch your own fish. Um, start hunting, you know, hunting is a good way to get some food. Um, I know here in Texas year round, you can hunt squirrel, you know, uh, you can hunt hog year round here in Texas. So, um, go learn how to hunt and, and produce your own food. Get to know local farmers. If you live in, if you live in an urban area, take a, 20 minute drive out to the country and, and, and find yourself a local farmer and just talk to them and see if you can't make a arrangements to buy stuff. We have a guy here that raises, raises and slaughters cows. We buy uh we buy beef from this guy for $4 a pound, right? We buy it in bulk. We buy a lot at a time. We buy half a cow at a time and it costs us about a thousand bucks, but it's, it's $4 a pound as opposed to spending, you know, 10, $15 a pound at the store. And, uh, get that organ meat. That organ meat's good for you. Heart, liver, all that stuff. All that stuff's good for you. Um, you can find recipes to make it taste good. And, you know, I mean, I love it you know, personally, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's super good for you. It's, it's probably the best part of the, of the animal is that organ meat. Um, so I, I would say that uh, if you're, if you're a mom or, or you're, you're a dad and you know, a parent in general, and, and you have an issue with the way that the school systems are going and let's say you can't take the time to run for school board. Let's say, I mean, you know, cause getting on the school boards in the public schools at this point in time is pretty, pretty important because the way that the culture is going and, and what they're doing to the children, uh, on a cultural level, but let's say you don't have the time. That's fine. Um, a lot of companies nowadays are allowing their employees to work remotely. If, uh, if, if you can't work remotely, uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, my wife is a virtual assistant and she works for several, she has several clients that she works with and for, and, um, she works from home. And she, she didn't have to leave the home. Now we don't have any kids, but that would be an excellent opportunity for a mother who wants to be involved, more involved with their children to be around. And so that would give you the freedom to be able to homeschool, especially if your children are like, you know, uh, late elementary, junior high or high school, you can homeschool them, kind of set them off on their day in the morning and be available to answer questions as they come around. And you could make sure that the curriculum is, is on par. So look, look at potential virtual jobs, things you can, things that you can do from home. If you want to be more involved in your children's lives, it's a really good way to be accessible, right? So, um, being a virtual assistant, you're a contractor or small business owner, and you can, um, 
you can kind of set like your own schedule, the way that you do things. Yes, you're working, you have clients that you have to answer to, but at the same time, you can tell that client, Hey, look, I can't do this today. You know, or I, I, I need to take an hour. My, my child needs my attention and you can do that and you have the freedom to do that. And so, whereas you're still working and you're still depending on that, that income coming in, you can do it in such a way where you are available for those children and that you are interacting with them regularly and you are involved in their lives and in their education and really taking steps to move forward. And this is extremely important for, for people to, to, um, come to terms with and figure out ways to do. And, uh, with, with technology, uh, where it's at, not talking about Neuralink and getting, getting your brain hacked into, uh, but with, with the, uh, technology advancements, there's a lot more opportunity to, to work remotely and, um, not have to spend two hours, a day in a car going back and forth to the office. So definitely try to find opportunities to do that and being more involved in your children's lives. And, uh, you know, uh, share, share podcasts, right? Share these, share these podcasts with people. We're, we're out here. We're, we're studying, we're researching, we're, we're doing everything we can. It's, it's a train bugs. Uh, there's a train. All right. Chanuk. I'm almost done. Sorry guys. Um, so yeah, share these podcasts with people. Um, financially, uh, if you can help man, donate, I have a Patreon, I have a Substack. Um, you could, you can get me money either way. I also have PayPal. I have cash app. If you prefer that, um, I'll accept crypto. I have an edge wallet, so I can, I can put crypto addresses out there. If you want to send me crypto, like, and I'm not just talking about me. I'm whoever's out there doing the work. Like right now, the libertarian Institute, we're doing a, a fund drive, right? Put yourself down to donate $5 a month to the libertarian Institute. There's a lot of us there. You're getting a lot of, you're, you're putting that funding in the right place and you're making sure that we have the, the, the finances coming in to keep, um, our podcasters and writers, you know, uh, employed and, and, and able to do these things and enter and, and, and spend the time in researching. And we don't have to, um, be as, uh, as, as dependent on, on jobs as, as we may. Um, so, you know, just whatever, whatever you need to do. I mean, I, I would, I would really prefer y'all go to libertarianinstitute.org forward slash donate, because I think you'll get more bang for your buck. If you, if you give money there, than if you give it directly to me, because there it's spread around between uh, a lot of different people. And, um, we're, we're ensuring that the most amount of people are able to do this work instead of like just me. So, uh, I do appreciate everybody that donates to me directly. And if you want to do both, I'm not going to argue with you, but, um, you know, I would rather you start off giving off to the Libertarian Institute at the libertarianinstitute.org forward slash donate. And then, um, if you're able to donate to me, then I'll, I'll happily accept your money, um, with, with no argument whatsoever. I won't, I won't tell you to stop. Um, but you know, this, these are the things that I think we need to do. We need to, we, you know, I, 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 I used to see Twitter as, is um, useless, but now I look at it and I'm like, no, this is where the information war is being fought. This is where the truth is under attack. Um, 
as, as these social media platforms. And the truth being under attack on these social media platforms is extremely important to have people that are fighting these, uh, these information battles on, on these social media platforms and learning how we can do it and maneuver the, and loop these loopholes, um, in order to continue to fight this information battle. So, um, I, I appreciate y'all listening. I'm surprised I got an hour out of this. Um, but, uh, I'm glad I sat down and did this because I think, I think I was able to, to verbalize, um, what I had to say pretty well. So, um, I'm not going to do an intro or outro here, just uh, ryanbunting.com, as always, libertarianinstitute.org, and thank you, Tom Burton, for the music. I hope y'all enjoyed this. I look forward to hearing back from you. Late.